Welcome to the Australian Book Review podcast. My name is Peter Rose and I'm the editor of ABR. This year we're celebrating the 40th birthday of ABR's second series. The magazine, of course, started in Adelaide back in 1961, but the first series ended in 1974. So this is an opportunity to celebrate 40 years of publishing and also to announce some new developments and programs. In the 400th issue, we announced that payments to our writers have increased by another 10%. We also name our ABR 40th birthday fellow, the Canberra writer and essayist BJ Silcox. Recently, BJ was in Melbourne and it was great to have an opportunity to chat to her about the fellowship. So, BJ Silcox, welcome to Australian Book Review. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. And what does it feel like to be the ABR 40th Birthday Fellow? It's really exciting. It's exciting because it's a chance to focus on a deep dive into things that matter to me and things that hopefully matter to ABR readers, to think about the topics that connect our literature to our time. And I'm really excited to have had that endorsement both of my writing career, because I'm an early career writer, this is a career change for me, and it's taken you know, a big leap from a, a quite established public service career to thinking about what it would be to be a writer. And making that, this really makes it a reality. This allows me to, to take a deep breath and to, to be a writer, to say I am. And that matters a lot, it really does. The, the barriers to entry for young writers are really high and the fact that ABR invests in them is just exceptional, really exceptional. So I feel very lucky indeed. This fellowship is different in nature from past ones where we have asked writers commentators, scholars, to concentrate on a particular subject and write a whopping article of seven to 10,000 words in some cases. Your contributions are going to be intermittent throughout the 12 months and shorter commentaries of about two and a half thousand words. The first of them appears in our 400th issue and that was important for us. Tell us about your feature story on magazine culture and how you went about constructing it. Yeah, it's a fantastic mandate to have in the 40th birthday issue to, as ABR looks to the future, to think about how magazine culture in Australia is looking to the future. I think it's an important topic and an important time. So it was a a really great confluence of the right time and the the right thinking. Um, It was exciting to think about how to tackle this topic differently. It's really easy when we talk about magazines to get caught in a lot of the old debates about, you know, should they be print, should they be digital, how much public funding should a magazine get? And I think they're quite tired debates and they're they're almost impossible to resolve. We end up rehashing them over and over again and it ends up, as I wrote in my article, being a, a rehash of of taste levels and generosity levels. You know, how much should we invest in young writers? How much should we invest in the digital environment? We can't really resolve those issues. But we can think about what does it mean for the future in a a really exciting way because our future is offering us a different way to think about how magazines could contribute. And that was the, the challenge, I think, for me, was to find a different way into this topic 
So I spent a lot of time thinking about what that different way in might be. And then in speaking to a number of Australia's magazine editors, that became really clear that they were struggling in this particular media environment to reconcile the the time it takes to put together really good magazine writing with the kind of frantic, frenetic media environment that we exist in. And in fact, the greatest contribution that magazines are, are giving us is the fact that they're not trying to keep up with the, the frenetic moment-to-moment pace, that they are taking a deep breath, that they are thinking about how do we write something that contributes to a deeper conversation, a more considered conversation? How do we reflect the nation back to itself and not get caught in the, the loops of journalism, you know, journalism that's driven by t- the 24 media cycle? And I think that magazines are in a really unique position to do that because they have to stop, they have to think. They, they have a, a longer lead time and their writers have more space to, to articulate what it is that's, that's happening around them. Who are some of the other editors and publications that you've included in the article apart from Australian Book Review? I had the pleasure of speaking to Nick Fike at The Monthly and Jonathan Green at Mianjin, who were very articulate and had thought very clearly about what it meant to be in, at the helm of a magazine that, that does engage very much at the forefront of Australian culture. They, they were very, very clear about what their role in the national conversation was, which was really helpful for me as I started to think about how to put together my article. I spoke to Rebecca Stafford at Kill Your Darlings, which is a literary magazine that's gone digital in the last year, which is exciting to see that they've kind of embraced a digital future. I spoke to, well, I had a correspondence with Mindy Gill, who's the at the helm of Peril magazine, which is an online magazine dedicated to showcasing the work of Asian, Australian and migrant writers, which I think is incredibly important. Then I also spoke to uh, the editors at Archer magazine, which is very new on the scene, but a fantastically well-put-together magazine about LGBTIQ culture, which I think is, again, a fantastically important part of Australian culture that's reflecting the nation back to itself. So I spoke to Amy Middleton at Archer and then also uh, to Jacinta Woodhead at Overland. So fantastic array of, of different perspectives. It, it's a great cross-section of, of Australian magazines. And from my perspective, as someone who's been consuming them and writing for them um, for many decades, it strikes me now that um, the sector is in pretty good health. And one of the themes that came through in your article was a greater note of, I think, well, not purpose, there's always been purpose, but um, optimism about the place of the magazine in a highly competitive market. I wasn't the only one who said that the situation seems more sanguine now than it was 10 years ago when I and a lot of other people really were very apprehensive about how long these beasts um, could survive in such a in such a tiny and competitive market. But the mood seems pretty positive. It does, and that was really heartening to hear that so much of what you read about our current media environment is so steeped in pessimism. Then to speak to magazine editors and have... It was a tempered optimism, but certainly an optimism, a sense... You're right, not necessarily of of renewed purpose, 
but a sense that the purpose that they've always had had found its, its space, that there was a momentum behind what was happening that was, was really, really wonderful to be hearing about. They understood what their place was, like I said, in the national conversation. They, how much they cared about... I think Nick Fike said that they'd try very much to be either the first word or the last word on something, and that is a really important role to play, to, to either break new ground in the way in which we talk about our culture and what it means and what it's doing, or to step back and take a, a high-level view and reflect on everything that's going on. And there's a real hunger for that, there's a need for that, and that need and hunger is really pushing magazines into interesting, vital spaces in, in Australian culture. So yeah, it was incredibly heartening to hear, and wonderful to be able to write something that's that's steeped in optimism. Exactly. We can be overly pessimistic, I think, <laughs> in the arts in Australia. You've mentioned long-form journalism. Um, the Monthly, ABR, to some extent, have been pivotal in uh, returning the popular essay to its rightful place that is available to the general reader and not just locked up in learned journals with very tiny uh, markets. Um, we were very pleased to be able to include the Calibre Essay Prize essay uh, in the 400th issue, We 300, by Lucas Granger-Brown, former soldier and now are doing a PhD in politics at the University of Melbourne. Have you had a chance to read We 300? I have. I read it the, the minute it was available in my inbox, which was... It's a wonderful essay because it's, it's so clear-eyed about its subject and... There are, there are some things you can only talk about if you're given the space and the time to think about them properly, and his essay is certainly a, a fantastic examination of the culture of the place with the time and space of, of distance and thought. And I think his examination of what it felt like to go into the ADF... and As, how, as a teenager. As a teenager, absolutely. And how you manage your expectation of what that's going to be like and of who you are and how that changes as you grow and you grow into a particular culture that's designed to turn you into a particular type of man. It's a fascinating essay and an important essay. And I think a really great example of a lot of the things I was writing about in my article because it shows why it's so important to give people the space to write about the things that matter to them, that you, he couldn't have achieved what he'd done in a thousand words. He needed the space to do that. And the fact that you spend the entire journey with him from the time in which he enters to the time in which he leaves and then that point of reflection gives it a real gravitas. It's a, a very worthy winner for the Calibre Prize. Yes, we were thrilled. I happened to judge it this year with Philippa McGuinness of New South Publishing and uh, novelist and essayist Andrea Goldsmith and it really stood out for us in a pretty strong field. There were 200 essays this year and the final long list of about 15 contains some really outstanding essays. And as always with these prizes, um, you know, more than one could have, could have carried it off. We look forward to publishing the uh, runner-up, Kirsten Tranter's essay, in the uh, May issue. That's an outstanding piece too. And I was really thrilled that um, the Calibre Prize, now in its 12th year, I think, went to uh, a man of 27 years. You know, it's... Um, there were some very distinguished people on that, uh, on that long list, and um, it's great that these prizes are going to the new generation, like yourself. 
Um, in the uh, April issue, we name the winner after the ceremony in March of the Peter Porter Poetry Prize. A lot of alliteration um, there. The most alliterative literary prize in the world, of course. And that was won by young Hong Kong-based poet Nicholas Wong, who came out from Hong Kong to attend, not knowing the outcome of it. And that was a really fine fine poem. I wasn't in, involved in the judging, but I was delighted that Nicholas uh, carried it off. And meanwhile, of course, um, the Jolly Prize, and we're in the closing days, it closes on the uh, 10th, um, will be judged by yourself and two others this year. How daunting is that? Uh... I am so excited. <laughs> I am so excited. There is nothing more exciting than opening the file for a short story and not knowing what you'll find. And all 1,200 or all so. All 1,200, of those, yes. Of those and you'll be doing your judging from uh, Egypt. Uh, BJ is leaving Australia to uh, live in Cairo. Can you tell us why and what you'll be doing there? Yeah, so it's, and I think this is really exciting that ABR's been willing to invest in me as a kind of roving, international roving. Our far-flung <laughs> correspondent is the New Yorker would say. I like international critic of mystery. Um, so my husband works for the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade and he's going to be the deputy ambassador in Cairo. And one of the wonderful things about being a writer is that you are very portable. So I am excited to be writing from, from Cairo, following in the you know, illustrious footsteps of Lawrence Durrell's Alexandria Quartet and Agatha Christie, Death on the Nile. Sam, my husband, is threatening to put me on a cruise until somebody dies so that I have my inspiration ready to go for my next book. And will you be mobile? I'll be very mobile, and we are hoping to travel Jordan, Morocco, Ethiopia, Iran. Oh, lucky you. Absolutely. And I think what's exciting to me is that there's a chance to engage with the literatures, the contemporary literatures of all of those places. That's one of the things I love the most about fiction is that it reflects a country back to itself. And I, I found that I never really engaged with Australian fiction until I left the country, and so it's exciting to me to engage with the fiction of these countries. I think, you know, we're very far away in Australia and we don't necessarily get access to the young people who are writing, for instance, writing the Arab Spring, who are, who are writing this generation of, of young people looking at the future of their region, of their country, of their culture, and thinking about what comes next. And fiction is the place in which that happens. It's often a kind of intellectual stomping ground where you can play with ideas before they play their way out. Fiction's a really powerful engine of empathy and I'm excited to, to be able to experience a culture through, through its writing and I'm hoping to be able to write for ABR on, on those kind of issues, which is what's wonderful, I think, about ABR. And going back to, to Nicholas's win in the Peter Porter Poetry Prize um, is the fact that ABR is bringing international voices to Australia as well as exporting Australian voices to the world. And I feel like I'm an example of the latter, an Australian voice that's, that's been given the scope and latitude to go out and write my experience and bring it back for ABR readers. And then Nicholas is a wonderful example of the former, of bringing those experiences from a, a regional place and bringing them back to Australian readers. And that's why the magazine in its 40th year is it's really exciting to be writing for it as this kind of portal between those worlds. Two developments in recent years have greatly increased overseas awareness of the magazine, which is beneficial to it in a commercial sense and beneficial for 
type of people who write for me and whose books are reviewed in, in ABR. The first was the creation of ABR Online, our digital edition, only, I think, about six years ago. And a bit later, the internationalisation of our three prizes, the Jolly, Calibre and the Porter, which only became available when there was that sort of mechanism so that you could receive submissions electronically. And that's very beneficial. I think we've gone from getting about 10% of our prize entries to 30 40% in some cases. And I anticipate that within a few years, uh, the majority of entries will come from abroad. That means a hell of a lot more people are aware of the magazine um, than was the case a decade ago or two decades ago, and that's got to be a good thing. We've, of course, been uh, reflecting on other developments of the magazine as we've celebrated the 40th birthday of the second series, which the magazine, of course, was revived in Melbourne in 1978. Um, and I suppose one of the uh, major changes for the, at the magazine in recent years has been uh, the extension into all the arts. Hitherto, the magazine basically reviewed books and published essays and occasionally looked at a film or went to the theatre. Now we're very serious about offering uh, an alternative to the increasingly uh, cursory and tiny reviews that that are served up. And I think ABR Arts is something we're very uh, proud of and have big plans for, as we now review film, theatre, opera, art exhibitions, um, new plays, you name it. Uh, we're joined uh, today by Dylan Gunawadna, who's the deputy editor here, and who works um, very closely with me in publishing the virtually daily now, um, uh, reviews of all the arts. Dylan, it must have been interesting for you over your two years with us to observe the, the expansion of the arts coverage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, when I first started, ABR Arts was finding its feet. Uh, we had a regular sort of page on the website that was updated every now and then with arts reviews. But over the last two years or so, we've really seen the expansion into more genres as well. It's not only just opera and theatre and film, it's also video games and... <laughs> um, Who would also... ever have thought? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also exciting to see more reviews appear in the print magazine as well. So, yeah, it's great to see it growing more and more. In the 400th issue, uh, we're able to announce a further increase in payments to our writers. Um, They've gone up from April the 1st by 10%, and we're all intent here uh, at the magazine, staff, the board, our wonderful patrons who make all of this possible, including BJ's fellowship, on increasing our rate to $75 per 100 words uh, as soon as we can, which would compare, compare uh, well with other publications, because I think we are particularly conscious that while this magazine is in good health and tries to be as generous as it possibly can to its writers, there are a lot of fine young thinkers and um, reviewers out there who aren't, aren't paid much, if anything. And um, this is something that exercises me. And BJ, you'll be, you'll be conscious of, the, of the, the challenges that face anyone who wants to play that role in the critical sphere, not just in creative writing. Absolutely, and I, I think you've 
nailed an incredibly important issue that the barriers to entry for young writers or writers more generally are prohibitively high. I am incredibly lucky to have support from, from my family and to have found incredible support from ABR as I start my writing career and I'm very keenly aware that there are important, vital Australian voices from, from regions of the country, from communities in the country and they're some of the communities we most need to hear from who simply don't have the luxury of being able to write because writing is a profession that does not generally pay. And so many of the editors I spoke to in putting together my article said that, that the barriers to entry for young voices are so prohibitively high that we know we're not getting all of the voices we would love to have to reflect the country back to itself. And that's changing as the barriers to entry for being part of a conversation have really they've lowered considerably and that's one of the wonderful things about living in a digital age that it's much easier to to speak publicly so that's why magazines are embracing things like you know a digital edition that they're embracing twitter and facebook and a number of the social media things aren't in fact the death of magazine culture but a way in which they source new voices pockets of dissent communities that are challenging orthodox views, I think that's incredibly important. But without being able to say, we back you, we allow you to live, people will not turn to a life of writing. And I, I couldn't be more proud to be part of the magazine as it invests in its young writers and, and commits to paying them. Yeah, that's a point that I try to make in a brief editorial I write on the subject, that uh, noting that unpaid or ignored or patronised young writers, many of them, will ultimately have to withdraw from the field. I think there can be a slightly insidious view that um, critics like poets, like sculptors, should go on doing it because it's basically a hobby. That, that tenacious old view that a life in the arts um, is a hobby. Um, and, and certainly this magazine tries to confront that and say these people are every bit as deserving of support uh, and exposure as everyone else well, in closing, it's been wonderful to uh, talk to you about the fellowship and we look forward as we go on celebrating the magazine's 40th birthday to publishing your future contributions. So thank you, BJ Silcox. Thank you very much. I'm excited to write them. I'll be looking at the pyramids and thinking of home.